We appreciate everybody being here this morning. It's uh, exciting to be here. I've been encouraged by your presence, by our singing together, and uh, I hope you have been as well. I'll invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to 1 Chronicles chapter 28. 1 Chronicles chapter 28. Uh, now, we don't preach a lot out of 1 Chronicles, I don't think, but uh, there's some uh, really good, of course, good material there. Tells This particular passage tells us about an event in the life of David. David's an important character in the Bible. He's the second king of Israel, the greatest king of Israel, and has a long-lasting impact on Israel. You'll remember that Christ, when He comes into the world, is the son of David. He's called the son, or the seed, or the descendant of David. E even today in Israel, if you look at the flag of Israel, the national flag, it has a star of David. And so David's an important figure in the history of Israel, especially in the biblical history of Israel. We're going to look at an event in his life today. You might remember if you look at 2 Samuel chapter 7, that David uh, dwelt in, well, I think we would consider it a king's palace. It was no ordinary house. It was described as a house of cedar. Now, now cedar was uh, the favored material that house builders and builders of important buildings would choose. And so important buildings were made of cedar. It's a durable material. It would last a long, long time. In fact, the temple had beams and tin, uh, timbers of cedar in it. And so that gives you some idea, some insight into the value that people placed upon cedar. Now David lived in a house of cedar. Not all houses were built of cedar. Some of them were built, no doubt, of lesser materials. But the king deserved and would live in something much greater than the ordinary dwelling place. And so David lived in a house of cedar. Now 2 Samuel chapter 7 tells us that David realized, now there's something wrong here. <laughs> I'm living in a house of cedar. I'm living in the best of all imaginable residences. But God dwells in a tent. Remember the ark of God, which is sort of the throne of God. We think of it in those terms. It was housed in a tent, the tabernacle, a portable building that you could take down and put up and move from place to place. And David just thought, no, that's just not right. It's not right for me who's subject to God, inferior to God, to dwell in a great palace while God's dwelling place is, is a tent. And so he decides to do something about that. He decides, I'm going to build God a house. I'm going to make it a great house. It's going to be magnificent. <laughs> it's going to be a suitable dwelling place for, for God and for the Ark of the Covenant, God's throne. And uh, Nathan the prophet even goes along with that plan for a while until God tells him, that's not going to work. I'm not going to allow David to build a house for him. Now, now I'm going to build a house for David, meaning a great dynasty. But you see, David is a man of war, and he shed a great deal of blood in his time. And my kingdom is to be a kingdom of peace. And so that's not going to work for David to build a house for me. I'm going to have David's son, Solomon, build a house for me. Now, Solomon in Hebrew text, his name is pronounced Shlomo, you know, Shlomo, Shalom-o. 
And so his name reflects the character of peace that ought to prevail in God's kingdom. And so God tells David, not, you're not going to build a house for me. Your son Solomon will build a house for me. Well, you know, that's, it's an interesting thing that, that David doesn't, doesn't pout about that. He doesn't go into his house and whine about it. Well, you know, I don't know why God didn't choose me. That's just not fair, you know. That, that's not the way he reacts. Instead, he says to himself, you know, if, if God doesn't choose me to build a house, okay, I can live with that. i tell you what I can do, though. I can get the materials ready for my son to build the house. Now, there's a great lesson in that for us. It may be that our first plan doesn't work out. <laughs> well, don't whine about it. Don't pout about it. Don't cry about it. Oh, now, what can I do? Well, I can't do that. What can I do in the kingdom of God? And that was David's attitude. Now, I may not be able to build the, the, the temple that I want to build, but I can get the materials ready so that Solomon can build the temple. And of course, that's what happens. And 1 Chronicles chapter 28, David has some words of advice to Solomon. We're going to read, beginning in verse 1, we're going to read down through several verses of, of this passage. And we're going to focus especially on the, the advice that David gives Solomon. Look at verse 1. Now David assembled all at Jerusalem, all the officials of Israel, the princes of the tribes, the commanders of the divisions that served the king, the commanders of thousands, the commanders of hundreds, and the overseers of all the property and livestock belonging to the king and his sons, with the officials and the mighty men, even all the valiant men. And so David gathers together this great assembly of important people in Israel. Then King David rose to his feet and said, Listen to me, my brethren and my people. I had intended to build a permanent home for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God. So I'd made preparations to build it, but God said to me, You shall not build a house for my name, because you're a man of war and have shed blood. Yet the Lord, the God of Israel, chose me from all the house of my father to be king over Israel forever. For he has chosen Judah to be a leader. And in the house of Judah, my father's house, and among the sons of my father, he took pleasure in me to make me king over all Israel. Of all my sons, the Lord has given me many sons. He has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord of, over Israel. He said to me, Your son Solomon is the one who shall build my house and my courts. I've chosen him to be a son to me, and I'll be a father to him. I will establish his kingdom forever if he resolutely performs my commandments and my ordinances as is done now. So now, in the sight of all Israel, the assembly of the Lord, and in the hearing of our God, observe and seek after all the commandments of the Lord your God, so that you may possess the good land, and bequeath it to your sons after you forever. And now he turns his attention to Solomon. As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father. Serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will let you find him. If you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be courageous and act. 
And we're going to focus especially on those last two verses, as you see up here on the screen, verses 9 and 10. Now, those, those are some, some inspiring words to me. You think, think about what God has to say there to Solomon, or David has to say to his son Solomon. And that, that's good advice, isn't it? It's good advice for Solomon. It's good advice for us as well. So I want to think about that in light of our, our situation and our lives. Now, David tells Solomon to do two things here in the beginning, in the very first verse. He tells him, I want you to know the God of your father. I want you to know God and serve him. Now, those two things go together, don't they? Know God and serve him. They're linked together. One follows naturally from the other. If you know God, you will serve him. If you're not serving God, it's because you don't know Him. <laughs> yeah. If you know God, if you not, not only know about God, but know Him, and you'll naturally serve Him. It won't, won't be difficult. It won't be a problem. And then if we're not serving Him, if we're not faithful to Him, it's because we really don't understand and appreciate and know His character. And so these two things go together. Know God, the God of your Father, who is the true God, and serve Him. And so let's talk about that a little bit. Now we're familiar with the idea of service. Uh, we know that it means to do the will of someone who is in authority over us. And so we serve someone who is in authority over us. They have the right to instruct us or command us or direct us and, and we do their bidding and we work for their benefit. Now, if you go out to eat, we go out to eat. Most people go out to eat at least uh, every now and then. You'll be led to your table, and you'll sit down, and in a minute somebody may come along and they may say, my name is Bob, I'll be your server today. We're familiar with the idea of service. They're going to perform a service for us. I'm going to be your server today. And they might say, well, what would you like to drink? Well, I want water to drink, or I want tea to drink, or I want Coke to drink. And they, they go back and they get whatever you ask for. They do your bidding. If they don't do your bidding, well, we're not very pleased with that. We're not getting good service from them. And after they bring your drink order, you might sit there for a little while, and in a few minutes, the server will come up and he'll take your order. He's going to take your order, and he's going to fulfill your order. And you might place your order, tell him what you want to eat. He'll go out, and he'll get it. He'll bring it back to you. He'll come around every few minutes, every now and then. Everything okay? Do you need anything? What, is there anything that I can do for you? <laughs> well, that's serving, isn't it? So we're familiar with the idea. Serving is doing the will of or doing the bidding of someone who's in authority. A servant in an estate does the will of the head of the estate. He uh, may just have regular duties. He might be a groundskeeper. Uh, someone might work as a housekeeper, might work in the kitchen of the greatest uh, uh, estate. And they don't have to be told every little thing to do. The, the head of the estate doesn't go out there and watch them. They have regular duties, but sometimes... The head of the state might call in the servant and say, I want you to do this particular thing for me today. And the servant, because he's a servant, carries out the bidding of the one in authority. Well, the, the, the idea, the, the, the concept is not, is not unfamiliar to us. In fact, 
We read about servants a great deal in the Bible. There's a couple of passages I'd, I'd point you to this morning. Matthew chapter 8, for example, a centurion comes to, to Jesus. His servant is, is paralyzed, and, and he asks Jesus to heal his servant, and Jesus says, I'll come and heal him. The centurion said, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another come, and he comes, and to my slave. Now, a slave is a particular kind of servant. He's a bond servant. And so he's not free to come and go. You know, some servants... They serve, but they're free to go and work somewhere else if they choose. But slave is a particular kind of servant. He's a bond servant. And so this man says, I say to my slave or my servant, do this, and he does it. That's what a servant is. He's doing the will of the master. Another biblical illustration is found over in Luke chapter 12. And verse 47, Luke chapter 12 and verse 47, Jesus is encouraging His disciples to, to do His will, to carry out the will of the Father. He says in verse 37, Blessed are those slaves whom the Master will find on the alert when He comes. Truly I say to you that He will gird Himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come up and, and wait on them. And so there are servants who are doing the will of the Master when the Master appears. And verse 47 says, that slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accord with his will will receive many lashes. And so when David tells Solomon, I want you to know God and serve him, he would include things like, I want you to obey his commands. In your personal life, I want you to obey his commands. But also as king, I want you to carry out your work as king and make decisions that benefit God's kingdom. And so you serve the Lord. In your personal life, you serve the Lord as king. You do His will. You carry out His will. You act for His good. You act for His benefit. There are several outstanding figures in the Bible described as servants of God. In fact, it's one of the greatest compliments a person can receive from God, to be his servant. And so Abraham is described as the servant of God in Genesis 26 and verse 24. Moses is the servant of the Lord. Joshua and David are servants of the Lord. Isaiah is called the servant of the Lord. Even the Messiah, the Christ, is described as the servant of the Lord. Why are they described that way? They, they recognize God's authority and they, they did it. And so Solomon is told to serve God, to do God's will. We, we are to be servants of God as well. We are to do His will in our lives, and we are to work to promote His cause in the earth. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus resists the temptations of Satan. The last temptation is that if the Lord would bow down to Satan, Satan would give him all the kingdoms of the earth. And Jesus responds by saying, Go, Satan, it's written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. We, we're to serve God. Oh, we're to serve only God. Our greatest allegiance is to be to the Lord. And so we are to be servants of God. Romans 6 and verse 22 tells us that we are made free from sin 
but enslaved to God. We, we serve God. We obey His commandments, and we work to promote His cause in the world. Look at Matthew chapter 24. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus issues a rather stern warning to those who refuse to be faithful servants in God's kingdom. Verse 25, who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give him their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom the master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he'll put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour which he doesn't know, and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In other words, Jesus is saying, now if you're serving God faithfully when the Lord returns, you'll be rewarded. But if you think, you know, the, the Lord is not coming for a long, long time, I've got plenty of time, and you began to act irresponsibly, not carrying out your duty as a servant in God's kingdom, punishment is surely coming. Severe punishment is coming. Solomon is told to serve God in this passage with all his heart. Serve with all your heart. Interesting little play on words here. The word Solomon, as we said a moment ago, shlomo. The word for whole or all in this particular passage is shalem. <laughs> so just an interesting word play there. But you know, it's possible to serve with something less than all your heart. We would say half-heartedly, half-heartedly, half not wholeheartedly, half-heartedly. And a person might get by with this in, in this life. A person is a servant, maybe serving in a great house, and here's the estate owner, and the, this particular servant really resents his position and doesn't appreciate it. And, and you know, he gets up every day, he's just out of a sense of obligation. He, he kind of half-heartedly goes through the motions and does the bare minimum of his duties. And, you know, the, the estate owner really doesn't call him to a, a, account. And so we might get away with that in some way in this life, serving half-heartedly in our responsibilities, but, but not with God. We're not going to get away with that with God. Because, you see, the Lord searches all hearts and understands the intent of the thoughts. There's an Old Testament king that came to, to my mind anyway while I was thinking about this. His name is Jehu. And we read about his story in 2 Kings chapters 9 and 10. And just for the sake of brevity, we'll just highlight his reign. He's called upon the deal with the family of Ahab. You remember Ahab was a very wicked king, and his wife was named Jezebel, and she brought in all kinds of idolatry into Israel. Ahab, uh, he, uh, he pleased her, engaged in those kinds of things with her. And Jehu was called to deal with all of that, to deal with Ahab and, and his family, which, which he does. He kills King Ahaziah. He kills Jezebel, Ahab's wife. He kills the 70 sons of Ahab. He also killed the king of Judah, Jehoram. In the second Kings chapter 10 and verse 28, he killed all the prophets of Baal. And so he, he did some, some very good things, eradicating Baal from Israel. Second Kings 10 verse 28 tells us, 
But look at what verse 28, uh, we'll continue verse 28. Look at what the following verses tell us. Look at verse, especially verse 31. But Jehu was not careful to walk in the law of the Lord, the God of Israel, with all his heart. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, which he made Israel sin. Now here's a man who did some great things, you know. He took care of the house of Ahab. He just eradicate, eradicated Baal worship. But he left those calves in Dan and Bethel that, that Jeroboam had set up. And so he didn't serve God with his whole heart. And that's a strike against him. Solomon is told to serve God with all his heart. Now that's especially meaning, meaningful in Solomon's life, isn't it? Because we know how it turns out that Solomon marries foreign women, idolatrous women, and they turn his heart away from serving the Lord and begins to engage in idolatrous worship with them. The question is, are we serving God with all our heart? Are we serving God with our whole heart? Do we do what He says? Do we, do we be, go beyond the, the bare minimum and, and work for Him to advance His kingdom and to promote His cause in the world? Are, are we faithful servants, serving Him with everything we've got, fully devoted to the Lord, fulfilling our duty, but doing His bidding and promoting His cause? Now, the Lord knows whether we are or not, you know. You might fool me, you might fool the elders, you might fool your brethren, you might fool your family, but you're not going to fool God. God knows if we're serving Him with our whole heart or not. And if we are not, well then we need to work on that, don't we? We need to, to get those things out of our hearts that hinder our service to God. God knows whether our heart is divided between serving Him and something else. Jesus warns against trying to serve God and mammon. And so if there's pride in our heart, if there's lust or greed in our heart, if there's envy or anger, there's hatred in our heart, God knows that it's there. And we need to eliminate it. I heard a preacher say one time, and I thought it was very, uh, very well said. I've, I've repeated it through the years. Only people with the right kind of heart are going to go to heaven. That's a sobering thought, I know, isn't it? But I think it's true. Only those of us who have the right kind of heart are going to go to heaven. And so Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, And uh, uh, blessed are the pure in heart. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And look at Hebrews chapter 10. He says in verse 22, Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. And so we, we need to you know, get our hearts right. Serve God with our whole heart. Now, I, I think in our world sometimes we, we want to deal with the symptoms of a problem and not the root cause of the problem. And so yeah, I think we can see that in, in our world today, in our nation today. All the violence, all the turmoil, all that's going on in the world today, I, you know, I heard, I heard all of this predicted years ago, you know. And not by sociologists or philosophers, just regular gospel preachers. You know, when you destroy the home, when you refuse to have God in your knowledge, you teach people you're nothing more than a highly evolved animal. Well, what's going to happen? Well, the culture is going to fall apart. 
If you teach people you're nothing more than an animal, you're going to live like nothing more than animals, you know. And, and so all of this was very predictable. And so we, what we need to do is deal with the root problem, the, the, the family, the acknowledgement of God, those kinds of things. And then that will bring long-lasting healing to the nation. And that's the way it is in our personal lives. If, if we have a problem in our personal lives, it may very well be we have a heart problem. <laughs> and we can, we can deal with the symptoms, we can patch it up, but we're never going to really solve the problem until we get to the root of the problem. And that's eliminated everything in our lives that hinders us from serving God with our whole heart. Whatever that is, whether it's pride or lust or greed or envy or hatred or malice, well, whatever that is that's hindering us. Well, we need to eliminate it so that we can serve God with our whole heart and our whole mind. Okay, let's move on. Now, David tells Solomon, if you seek God, He'll let you find Him. If you seek the Lord, you'll find Him. Now, seeking the Lord is a recurring idea in the book of First and Second Chronicles. Here, David tells his son, if you seek Him, He will let you find Him. If we seek God... He will let us find Him. You know, God's not trying to hide from us. He's not trying to conceal Himself from us. He's not so distant from us that we can't find Him. And He's not so different from us that we cannot find Him. He wants us to search for Him so that we can find Him. You might remember Acts chapter 17 and, and verse 27. God says, or here, here's Paul preaching on uh, Mars Hill, the Areopagus. He talks about how God would have those to seek Him if perhaps they might grope for Him and find Him, though He's not far from each one of us. He's not far from us. And if we search for Him, we can find Him. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, faith, Without faith it's impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is. He's the rewarder of those who seek Him. God's going to reward you if you seek Him. And so David tells Solomon, if you seek Him, you can find Him. Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 6 tells us, Seek the Lord while He might be found. And so God's not trying to hide from us or conceal, to conceal Himself from us. He's not so far away that we can't find Him. He's not so different from us that we can't find Him. He's left Himself a witness so that we might find Him. God's not willing that any should perish, 2 Peter 3 verse 9 tells us. He wants every person to know Him and His truth. It's all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And so He strongly desires for us to know Him. In fact, He so strongly desires for us to know Him, He sent His Son into the world to reveal Him to us. Remember the statement in John chapter 1, verse 18, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten who's in the bosom of the Father, He has revealed Him. If you want to know how to find God, look to Christ. Christ is the Son of God, and He reveals us to the Father. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And so, you want to know where the Father is or what He's like? You want to come to know Him? Well, look to Jesus, and He will reveal Him. In fact, I'm reminded of Matthew chapter 11 and verse 27. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son reveals Him. 
Now, how do we do that? How do we come to know God? That's a challenging question. People have been wrestling with that for a long, long time. It's not through meditation or contemplation. It's not by, by, by uh, you know, going, uh, you think about people that say, I want to find God. Okay, well, you go to the Himalayas somewhere and you climb the mountain and you find, no, no. It's not through some sort of ascetic life or some philosophy. If you want to know God, you find Him through Christ. And if you want to know Christ, you find Him through the Word. Throughout the Word, God is revealing Himself. All Scripture is inspired of God. And so, do you want to know God? Well, where else would you go but to God's Word? And you find God there. You find about the Son of God in God's Word. And it's the Son of God who reveals God to us. Now this passage here highlights our responsibility as well. Notice the conditional statement. If you seek Him, He will let you find Him. That places a responsibility on us, doesn't it? If you seek Him, He will let you find Him. There are lots of statements like that throughout the Bible. If you forgive your brother, your father will forgive you. Uh, if you confess with the mouth, if you believe in your heart, you'll be saved. And so we have responsibilities to, to accept and carry out and fulfill and perform if we want the blessing. Now, there are people that seek God. There are those that don't seek God. And we're not going to find God if we don't seek Him. But if we seek Him, if we seek Him with our whole heart, we can find Him. He's made Himself evident to us. He's made Himself available to us. Now there's a stern warning here to, to Solomon uh, in the latter part of this particular passage. If you forsake Him, He will reject you forever. And so David is telling his son, now you seek God, He'll let you find Him, but if you forsake Him, you're not going to be king. You're going to be rejected forever. We can take that same language, can't we, and talk about the eternal consequences of rejecting God. If we refuse to have God in our knowledge, if we refuse to obey the gospel, 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 7 through 9 tell us, well, then we'll suffer eternal destruction away from His presence. We'll be cast off forever. Well, the last thing I want to highlight in this passage is this, is this last statement. Consider now. Now, now, now look. <laughs> we can say, now, now look, I, I want to make an impression on you. I want you to consider this very carefully. The Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be courageous and act. And so Solomon finds himself in this position. I've been chosen to build this house for the Lord. The Lord expects me to build this house for the Lord. And so he has the responsibility to do it to the very best of his ability. Now what does the Lord expect of us? What, what position do we find ourselves in? Whatever position that is, well, the Lord has placed upon us a responsibility to fulfill it to the best of our ability. And so do you find yourself in the position of a husband? Well, God has something to say about that. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. We have a responsibility to our wife, and we need to be courageous and act. Do you find yourself in the position of wife? All right, God has something to say about that. 
Uh, we, we fulfill our duties toward our husband and toward our families according to God's will. Do we find ourselves in a position of children? Well, God has something to say about that. To obey our parents. For example, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 and following. Maybe we find ourselves in a position as, as parents, as fathers and mothers. All right, we need to fulfill our responsibility to the best of our ability. Just as Solomon was to be courageous and act, so we're to act as well. Are you an employee? You know, we're to work heartily as unto the Lord. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 23 tells us. We're to be good citizens. We're to be faithful members of the church and use our ability to build other members up as well. Ephesians 4 verse 16. The whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body to building of itself in love. Do you find yourself in the position of a disciple? Okay, be courageous and act. Jesus calls upon His disciples to be the light of the world. All right, be courageous and act as the light of the world. Well, whatever position you're in in life, God has something to say to you about that position. Be courageous and do it. Be courageous and do it. Well, the idea of being a servant doesn't really appeal to us, does it? <laughs> you know, it's sort of contrary to our, our fierce independence. You know, nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm not going to serve anybody. I'm going to do what I want to. You know, we just have that, we, we just have that instilled in us from, from our youth. You know, you, you, you're the master of your own destiny. But as, as children of God and as disciples of Christ, we, we just can't have that attitude. You see, we're to serve the Lord. We're to serve Him with all our heart. Now, the Lord knows whether we are or not, but we're to serve Him with all our heart. We're to seek the Lord. If we do that, He'll let us find Him. Now, if we don't, if we reject Him, well, then we'll suffer the consequences. And whatever position we find ourselves in in life, we're to carry out our responsibilities to the very best of our responsibility. So here, here's David. David lives about 1,000 B.C., so about 3,000 years ago. And yet, and yet his advice that he gives to his son is still valid today. It's a remarkable thing. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for the opportunity to meet together to, today and to worship you. And we recognize your worthiness. We're, we recognize our own un, unworthiness because of the sin that's in our lives. And we pray, Father, that you'll have mercy upon us and You'll be patient with us that you'll accept our worship today. Father, we're thankful for the opportunity to open your word and to read and study it and hear what it has to say to us. Help us, Father, to come to know you. And as a result of knowing you, to serve you willingly with all of our heart. Help us, Father, to seek you every day and to seek your will. To eliminate those things in our hearts that would hinder that, that process. And Father, help us to find you and come to know you better and better as our lives go by. Our Father, help us to think very seriously about where we are in our lives, the situations we find ourselves in, whether as parents or husbands or wives, employees, citizens in, in, our, in our nation, or as disciples of Christ. 
And Father, help us to understand our responsibilities and carry those out to the very best of our ability. Father, we look to Christ who did all of these things perfectly and without flaw. And may we follow in his footsteps in these matters. We ask for your help. We ask for your patience. We ask for your guidance. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're here today, you're not